This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm so happy to have my friend Chase Millsap on the show with us today. Chase is the director of a documentary that is just about to be released, Small Town Strong. And with him is Dale King, um, who runs uh, PSKC CrossFit. And before we kind of kick into um, the story and and why you guys are here and, and really the meat of what we want to get down and talk to, I'd love to just, um, because uh, Chase shared with me a little bit about how you guys met. And so um, I'd love for I'd love to start uh, with how the two of you came to be. So backstory, you guys are both veterans. Um, Dale served in the Army. Chase served in, I think, every service branch there was. Um, the Air Force wouldn't take me. Oh, yes. Except for the Air no. Force. Um, but, you know, your story is kind of unique about how you came together. So let's just kind of start there and um, and then we'll go from there. Thanks for being on. So there I was. Um, a, a really good friend of mine was was saying, hey, I asked, whatever happened to Miley? Miley was a girl that I grew up with in Portsmouth. And uh, our mutual friend was like, yeah, she married a dude who says he's like a Marine slash Special Forces in California. So like my stolen valor radar was just pinging <laughs> left and right. And I was like, oh, is he like a sniper Navy SEAL too? Why is yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so that's the first time I heard about Chase. And then um, fast forward, I'm out in, in Hollywood filming an episode for Shark Tank. And they're like, hey, that that Chase dude married Miley. Like they would love to, to meet you guys and, and have tacos. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I don't really want to have to call this guy out in front of, you know, his wife and our mutual friend. So we go to eat tacos and there he is. And I was trying to like tactfully fish around to get to the, and I was like, wait a minute, dude, you graduated from the Naval Academy. He was a Marine officer, quit that to, you know, go to the Q course to become a special forces officer. And sure as shit, it checked out because uh, we were actually in Iraq around the same time and we're bouncing names off like, oh, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so. and it was just like, since that day, like we, we instantly became best friends. And well, Miley told me a little bit about Dale. She said that she had gone in the same group with to prom with him. So I, I immediately didn't like him either. This <laughs> was not supposed to happen. And then he was nice about it, but he was subtly, you know, that first meeting he was like, let's be honest, you're lying. You're being your stolen valor. And I was like, nah, it was a long story, but I did actually go from the Navy to the Marines to the Green Berets, which was not the plan, by the way. Dale, I will tell you that when I first met Chase, I was, he, I was introduced to him and, you know, oh, this is Chase. He's an army veteran. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and Chase, I remember actually, uh, we were outside a bar smoking a cigarette. Um, there you go. Well, Sounds about right. Yeah. Many, many years ago when that was my vice. And um, and I said, oh, where'd you go to college? And he said, the Naval Academy. And I'm like, wait, what? And you're an Army veteran? He's like, well, I was also a Marine. So I had the same like, what? Who's this dude? Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so you guys linked up. You're out uh, pitching on Shark Tank to for it's a skincare correct yeah it's a it's a all-natural skincare and grooming company called doc spartan yes so love the name spartan i like how you bring spartan into kind of all your different <laughs> business right. acquisitions but um but what happens is dale you're you're deployed you serve close to 10 years in the army you come back to your small town in ohio and 
you alluded that it was like The Walking Dead. And, you know, tell us a little bit about that because, you know, this is at the height of the, well, not even the height, maybe the beginning of the opioid epidemic. And um, it was fascinating to watch the um, transition from where your town started and, you know, I guess that was in like the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and then where it was when you got back from deployment. Um, so tell us a little bit about that journey and reacclimating into your community and what you were seeing. Yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned Spartan. Uh, the reason Spartan's in everything is in the late 20s and early 30s, there was an NFL team called the Portsmouth Spartans right. in Portsmouth, Ohio. They were one of the original NFL teams. Um, and they would later go on to be sold to Detroit, and they are now the Detroit Lions. So that kind of tells you like the how big uh, industrialized the town was back in the day. Um, you know, from the all the way kind of up into the 70s, when the industrial base started leaving uh, the United States, Portsmouth, just like a lot of Rust Belt towns, was hit pretty hard uh, economically. So you kind of had a population devoid of economic opportunity, but one guy figured out a really phenomenal business model. Uh, and that was the pain clinic pill mill business model. And unfortunately, um, Portsmouth is kind of known for the first person, the first physician who ever created the pill mill business model uh, was in Portsmouth. Wow. And that was around the mid nineties. So, how that works is around that same time, Purdue Pharma started manufacturing Oxycontin, um, which as we all know now is essentially chemical, sim chemically similar to heroin. Yes. Um, so this guy figured out a way that he essentially had an endless supply of heroin and then he could charge people cash, 100, 150, 200 bucks to come in. And a lot of these guys uh, and gals um, used to be former coal miners, factory workers who, you know, did have chronic pain issues. Um, so 150 bucks later, you get a pill of Oxycontin and feel better. The only problem is that created an entire generation of opioid addicted population uh, here in Portsmouth and kind of throughout Appalachia. So I left in 99, um, went to went to college. Somehow graduated college and picked up a commission along the way and then uh, spent a couple of deployments to Iraq. And around 10 years later, came home uh, and it was not the place that I had left. So from like 99 to two to 07 uh, was really the height um, of the pain or the pill mill pain clinic epidemic. Yeah, uh, I came home and there were 12 pain clinics in Scioto County. My county is 70,000 people. Um, and so that's just 12 different businesses owned by doctors just writing scripts. And I actually looked it up the other day. Uh, from 2006 to 2014, there were close to 47 million pain pills prescribed in Scioto County. Wow. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's what I came home to. Um, and it, it was just, you know, trading one war zone for the other. Now you've seen Dope Sick or, or Painkiller, you know, those those TV shows. Yeah. That's exactly what they're talking about, right? The doctors would give, you know, basically write the scripts out and, and get people addicted. And you could see it. And it was legal at the time. Yeah. It was cool. Well, you know, and I I've often talked about I had on a guy, um, Zach Clark, who's actually won the Bachelorette. Um, but um he is a recovering opioid addict and he, he got hooked on opioids cause he had a brain tumor. So <laughs> this wasn't a guy that was going out and, you know, searching out recreational drugs. And we were having this conversation because, you know, you, it's so easy to see. And I love how you guys talk about in the documentary that like, um, you know, this is devoid of like your socioeconomic status, like it getting hooked on pain pills. It's just really like the accessibility to them. You know, I had three C-sections 
Um, I've got three kids. I had three C-sections. The first one I had, they automatically were just pumping me with Oxy. It was like every four hours, take this. You got to stay ahead of the pain. And I became terrified of the pain of like, because in my head, it was like, if I don't take this, this pain is going to come. And they would always say, stay ahead of the pain, stay ahead of the pain. And I came home. I shared this story on, on that episode. I came home from the hospital, still taking those oxy and every four hours was setting an alarm to wake up. I had not experienced oh, one wow. of pain since the surgery. And like, a C-section is major abdominal surgery. Yeah. They're, they're laying your inside on the side of the table and then taking a child out on the other side. Like it's no joke. And I remember waking up and I was calling for the nurse to bring me my pain pills. And my husband was like, yeah, you're done. Like, nope. And like cold turkey cut me off. And when I went into my second pregnancy, I was like, I am not taking those. And I told the doctors when I went in, I'm like, I do not want um, Oxy. I want, you know, just give me extra strength, you know, Tylenol and Motrin. Mm -hmm. And they still advised me to not do that. And it was, I was like, I am willing to take a little bit of pain to not feel that dependency in like three days, feeling that dependency. So, yeah. you know, I, I recognize like how quickly that can happen for somebody and, you know, and having the accessibility in your town with all those, you know, pill clinics, like it's, it's so easy to see how it can happen. And what I constantly think about is how did the doctors not know that they were creating this issue? Like what was in it for them? Like, I know there's, we can get into much deeper conversation, but like, holy crap, you know, it's good to hear that you got through it you know, and recognize it early because a lot of our, you know, people we follow in the documentary didn't, right? Yeah. These things like gradually happened over time until it was like, oh no, this is, it's bad, the rock bottom. And the doctors we talked to, you know, specifically some of the emergency room doctors would tell us that for a very long time, they were being told they weren't prescribing enough of this medication, of the, of the pain medication. And so, you know, it was an institutional thing that no one really kind of put the brakes on and said, hey, maybe this is going to have long term effects. Yeah. Right. Until it was a problem. And that's, you know, we didn't cover it a lot in the documentary, but like they literally had to change the law here in Ohio to go after these doctors because it was perfectly legal. And, you know, now we're starting to see, you know, that was that was kind of phase one. Right. Where it's like, OK, it's these prescription pills, mostly oxy that people are getting hooked on. Phase two, I mean, once people are addicted and they can't get it, they can't get it, they go to illegal substances, which is now heroin or meth or, you know, other stuff, substances that are out there. And so that obviously had, you know, a lot of negative effects. And now we're in this phase three, which is fentanyl, right? Which is harder to get, you know, harder to get the illegal stuff. It's easier to get fentanyl in, it's cutting everything, and it's incredibly more lethal. So the problem has actually gotten worse right. over time. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what we really wanted to show in the documentary is like, it's all bad, but the stakes now are higher than they've ever been before. Yeah. I I just recently had a conversation with my my two oldest kids. My daughters mm -hmm. are both teenagers. And I literally said to them, like, and and I think it was the congressman in your documentary, he said, You you can't experiment anymore. Like literally, you can't experiment. And I had that same conversation with them. You know, I just said, listen, you can try nothing. I mean, I put the scare tactic of like, it could just be in Sour Patch Kids that you get, you know, like you have to be, because fentanyl, it's once, it will kill you. Like you will die. Yeah. And, you know, we see that here in, I, I live, you know, a hop, skip and a jump away from Kensington. And, uh, you know, Kensington, Philadelphia is, you see videos of it all the time. It's like, it is the walking dead. It is the craziest scene you've ever seen in your life. And it used to just be like, that's where all the junkies live. Well, that's where all the junkies die because they're all dying yeah. now because they're taking the same shit and, and it's all laced with fentanyl and they're dying. And, you know, you think about this idea where it has to be fear factor for, for these kids because the offset to that is you had some, and, and we'll talk about larger um, in a sec of, of what you're doing, but some of your recovering addicts 
in your documentary. And it's not the first time I've heard it, but when they're talking about the first time they did heroin or the first time they did meth, it's like, it's the best feeling in the world, right? And so that is so scary. And I'm always like, oh, don't say that because, you know, I mean, you think like a young kid is like, ooh, the best feeling in the world. What's that feel like, right? And so um, those those recovering addicts are always living with, the absence of the best feeling in the world, right? And compounded by the idea of like, eh, am I going to just take that chance? Even though there could be fentanyl, even though it could kill me, it's still the best feeling in the world. I'm going to roll the dice, right? So it is, like you said, Chase, the stakes are so much higher. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the documentary and and really what you're trying to do in in Portsmouth to combat uh the epidemic and and it really it started out with with CrossFit um so you come back and you open this gym and i mean i i can't imagine that you're thinking i'm uh, like that this is all going to be about the opioid epidemic at first right no uh <laughs> not at all um, you know, start off the gym actually was way more therapeutic to me as a veteran. Right. Um, like a lot of guys, you, you get out back to duty and you, you've been deployed a couple of times and, uh, and almost like, since you just talked about like when, when addicts talk about the first time they use drugs, what an amazing experience that is. Um, when you're with a unit and you're knocking down targets or you're a part of something so incredibly important, that's an amazing feeling and experience. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, you're always kind of chasing that too. The problem is when you leave, that switch is off. Yeah. And, um, you know, you don't really, they can, people can tell you about it all they want, but until like you go from day one, you're, you're a, our active duty to day two, you're just Joe Schmo who no one really cares about and really doesn't care about what happened or what you did. It's, it's difficult to, to reintegrate back into. Um, and so you're, you're devoid of mission, you're devoid of purpose, and you're devoid of a community or brotherhood. Um, three things that were vital to you. And so early on, the gym was able to provide that to me and uh worked through a lot of my issues and kind of early on the gym always had the tagline um in a town devastated by weakness we choose strength um because i wanted to take what i had learned in the military and through crossfit and be able to provide challenge and being in discomfort to people because that's ultimately such a great tool um to build competence and, and capability and competence um so that was kind of the, the mission early on and we started working with uh, adaptive athletes so men and women who lost uh, arm or leg or combination thereof um, whether in combat or uh, a civilian accident and that's when i kind of understood like working with people that's gone through traumatic events and seeing how fitness is such a great tool for them um and then fast forward when i started working with people on addiction i was just like oh we've all gone through trauma in some capacity um we've just tried to hold on to different things as a way to numb that pain right um but it, it was all trauma that got us there and a feeling of isolation and disconnection and there's no there's no better place um, to offer connection and camaraderie than a CrossFit gym. Dale likes to say it. He's now proven it to me over four years of like everybody's equal after a horrible workout. You know, everybody feels the same. I'm like, it's there's a lot of truth in that. It's you know, very you true. Get the yeah, and you know, I mean, it's interesting because your like whole methodology is what we do at the Travis Mannion Foundation. So you know we lean back into a Pew study from several years ago that was like 55% of veterans, the biggest thing they're they're challenged with is feeling disconnected from community. 
And so mm-hmm. how do you give that back to them? But you can look at different different subsets of society and say the same thing, right? Like the recovering addict needs community too. I mean, everyone needs community. Like in mm-hmm. order to thrive, you need meaningful relationships. You need a community of people. Isolation is now the the Surgeon General just declared isolation an epidemic. Like yeah. literally, when have you ever isolation? The word isolation yeah. now an epidemic. Like that yeah, I think he said it's like the, yeah, similar to smoking fifteen cigarettes a day or yeah. something like that. Fifteen yeah. cigarettes. I I was like, what? It's wild. And so and and you know what we always lean back on is like we recognize this very early on and we would try to bring it to the VA and, you know, and they would kind of laugh at us like, nope, what a struggling veteran needs is counseling pills, you know, all of these. And we're like, well, there's probably more holistic approaches to, you know, to get them before they they're there. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I will say we've come a long way. And I think society as a whole is embracing this idea of human interaction, of community. And and again, we certainly recognize at our organization the power of moving your body, of physical fitness. And and that's a really heavy part of what we do. Um, But like veterans that, you know, I always say, I think the, I think the average person looks at the veteran community as uh, very wounded, right? Where in fact, mm-hmm. the large majority of the veteran community sits in the middle and it's really the extremes are on one side and the other, but there's still vulnerability in that community. And it's about recognizing those signs of when you need to intervene, right? And so I imagine working with addicts, uh, you had to be really, or recovering addicts, you had to be really cued in to those signs while they're while they're in your gym and and recognizing like hey are they doing okay um you know how did you learn to deal with that that's where bill came in yeah i mean the short yeah short answer is the hard way uh yeah unfortunately um but you know luckily it wasn't something that just happened overnight so it really started with one individual and his name is andrew wright and he was like the first guy that we worked with um that you know he got done with the 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 program and the program can only only last 90 days because that's how long medicaid will fund it and so he's like hey dude like uh, i want to thank you like this crossfit stuff has been instrumental in my recovery um but i'm done with the program and just really appreciate it i was like okay cool like fired up for this cat thinking he's got a job lined up and he's going to go back somewhere and, and restart his life. So I said, well, what's next? He's like, uh, I got to go to the homeless shelter because I don't have anywhere to go and I can't find a job anywhere. Right. So Didn't like, he say like, if I go home, I'll start using again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, Oh, so Dude, tomorrow, come to the gym. Uh, I'll give you a broom and a mop, and you can work out as much as you want. And we'll we'll just take it from there. Yeah. And kind of like due to his success, he opened the doors for now we have anywhere from 9 to 13 people across three three companies that um, are in recovery that, that work, um, work for us. And but he was able to once we hired the second person. We're able to lean to Andrew and other counselors to be like, hey, I think so-and-so is kind of going off the radar a little bit. Um, to look for those signs, to yeah. be able to pull them back in. And that's why we, you know, for us, we just have one rule. Show up on time and never be unaccounted for. That's it. Yeah. Because the the day that you don't show up on time and you're unaccounted for, like that's when it starts. And if you let two days go by, it's, it could potentially be fatal and, it, and it's too late. Yeah. Um, so we try not to have a lot of rules, but the ones that we have, you, you got to stick to. And then um, the second guy, unfortunately, that came after Andrew, I mean, this, this is not what's in the documentary, um, but he relapsed, unfortunately, 
And a part of his relapse, like he stole my business partner's lawn tools to pawn him for drugs. Um, so we had a we had a decision at that point, like, what do we do now? Um, and my immediate reaction was like, done. He's I don't care. Like that's unacceptable. But then it really came down to well, if everyone's like Andrew, then you, this pro like there's no difficulty to this program right like if they're all going to be 100 percent success then this is easy so you have to figure out what you're going to do when it's not easy and then that's when we said hey like if you're honest with us it, when and if you do relapse you have to go back into treatment you have to subscribe to whatever protocol the the professionals want you to do and then when you get through that you'll have your job back when, when you come through um and what was fascinating to, to capture which we said got in, in the film is that you know dale and, and his team are going through this but a lot of the, the gem members that have been coming for years in the community also recognize this so you have this community learning that's happening and because of that now it starts to look like others realize that oh i need to i need to go after and i need to to welcome those in in recovery as well so you've got everything kind of centered at the gym but now you have other employers that are coming together. And so it's almost like kind of what we wanted to do when, you know, when we were in Iraq, when you're talking about nation building, it's like, take one block, hold that block, build it, build it, build it. Like it really was that. I mean, it was like the gym was the center point. And then now you start seeing businesses start to hire people now. And you have that reason, like you said, the community, people want to stay clean to be right. part of that. And that's like the long-term part of it. So it was really, really fascinating and awesome to capture. So I don't know how much we want to get into, but like, obviously for me, I watched the documentary and, you know, um, I was not expecting kind of the, what came towards the end with yeah. your, your, your counterpart in this whole endeavor yep. um, was a guy by the name of Bill Devers, right? Yep. And, um, you know, and I'm watching him and it's like, you know, he's the catalyst to kind of <laughs> everything that's happening. So, it, you know, you see this amazing partnership with you and him. And then the next thing you see is this mom talking about losing her son. And I'm thinking it's like one of the, the guys you have employed. And I'm like, oh, which one was it? Which one? And then it was him. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, that that hit me out of left field. I was not expecting that. Um, obviously, you were not expecting that either. Um, but there was something that you said uh, when you were reflecting on his death. Um, and ultimately, he relapsed and died of fentanyl poisoning. Um, but you said that his death was not going to be in vain, right? It was going to mean something. And, you know, I... I I immediately connected it with that because that's the reason the Travis Mannion foundation exists today. So like I felt it on so many levels and, you know, um, you have to think that in some way, like you're living out his legacy by doing what you continue to do. And, you know, it's it, super sad to, to see that it ended up that way for him. Um, and, but I don't, I don't know if there's anything you want to kind of talk about with that yeah um you know this this thing doesn't exist without bill yeah um, well tell us a little bit about bill because he's a very central character in the entire yeah. documentary yeah, um, yeah so so let's let's talk about bill a little bit um and and share with the audience a little bit more about him and the role he played with all of this yeah so he uh he's the reason that jim ever started working with the addiction community um, he was my, he was my friend and my personal attorney at the time. And then he went on to take a position as the general counsel for the counseling center. And he said, Hey man, like CrossFit's been instrumental in my own recovery. Um, once I get there, I really want to find a way that we can partner. And then the gym can come over to our place and provide CrossFit classes. So it was his entire idea to get this going. Um, and and the program you know program's very successful um you know we're, we're having a lot of success stories progress 
And uh, he was just like, okay, now we got to figure out a way to scale it. Like, how do we get this and take this to different towns and the whole thing? And I'm just like, Bill, like, I'm just taking this literally like one workout at a time, man. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I'm not concerned about that, how we're going to scale this, the whole thing. But that he'd always like start rubbing his hands and get all fired up about it. Um, so it's, it's his it's his vision. It's, it's his idea. Uh, and you know, tragically he, he left us too soon. Um, and he's chases, Chase and I's good friend. Um, so this is what we're doing is because of what you started and now we're going to finish it. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, this and, and you're processing going through the trauma and the process of grief. I mean, you know, I filmed, I'd filmed these guys for four years. You know, I, honestly, I didn't really even know how to use a camera when we started. So a lot of footage is bad, but I got better. Bill was one of the first ones that, you know, started filming and then we became friends. And literally in the height of COVID, Dale and Billy, like, drove with me across the country and helped me move, right? Like, we became really good friends here. And, and you know, and and I got sold on the mission, too. I could see how people were literally changing. And And Bill laid out the map for this and said, you know, we got to get people fit. We got to keep them through the process of, of, of going and, and then hold them accountable. And then we can build it and take it to other places. And, you know, when he passed, we both kind of looked at each other. We had a bunch of footage. We had no plan. And for two military guys, like, you know, that's not the normal. But we basically looked at each other and said, screw it. Let's do it ourselves. Let's tell this story so that people know not only, you know, the vision that Bill had, but that this is possible and there's hope and that others can get through this, right? There's there, and that's, and that's really at the end of the day, you know, at least for me, it's if we can just offer, cause I know there's so many people, we heard it from moms, we heard it from people that are in recovery, that it just feels like overwhelming at times, but there is hope. And we wanted to be able to show that for others out there that, you know, if you get into a gym, that's step one. What were your thoughts though? Like, cause all I was thinking was like, here was the guy who came up with the solution and he still fell victim to the problem. Right. Like. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's like finding out, uh, you know, Superman's a little vulnerable to kryptonite. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, probably one of the greatest gifts Bill unintentionally gave us was appreciating life and then understanding it can impact anyone yeah um and he was he was the guy <laughs> like he was the guy um and then he he couldn't shake it and then uh i guess the biggest lesson is uh because you know We'll, we'll get approached by moms or brothers and sisters and all that we can tell them is, Hey, you, if somebody's in addiction and they're spiraling out of control, you need to live your life with them and understand that you don't want any regrets when, if they die. Yeah. But you also need to understand you can't, put more energy into somebody's recovery than they're willing to do. So, and that's very hard, especially if you're a mother and it's your son or it's your daughter. Um, but what you can do is be, and this is, I can't believe like I'm saying all this, but you, you have to be non-judgmental and you have to reach out, text every day and say, Hey, Hey man, if you're ready, I'll take you. Right. Next morning. Hey man, if you're ready, I'll take you. I'm here for you. And then one of those days they're going to respond. Um, cause you don't want, you, you don't want to live your life with regret and wondering, um, if you could have done more, but you also don't want to live your life with the guilt that you enabled them. Right. As well. It's such and a double sort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think about too, because, you know, I, I can only imagine to your community his loss was obviously very significant. And, and, you know, you guys can probably tune it back to like 
some of the the veterans that we've lost in the military community to suicide, right? And there's a few pretty notable ones that are like, he was Superman, right? And he was the one that was teaching people how to deal with mental health challenges. And then they end up uh, completing suicide. And so, you know, I, I immediately thought about that when I saw that that he had died and it was just like, I'm sure that rocked the system a little bit in and in, in the foundation of what you had created. But I love that you guys use that as a catalyst to, you know, move forward in a really positive way and keep going. Uh, I think that was a beautiful thing. And, and the way that you guys uh, portrayed that in the documentary was pretty awesome. So, I mean, I guess I gave away a big spoiler of the, the, the piece, but okay. um, even watching it, like it's, it's important. And, you know, again, for me, I was like, wait, what? Like, what, how does that happen? Like, it was just, you know, I felt like I, I, I was, I knew him and I was, you know, and, and then to get to that point, it, it was really tough. And then, you know, but on the flip side, you look at some of the other people that you have helped that didn't have the resources initially. And, um, I'm forgetting the young woman's name, um, who was really central in the piece, uh, Sarah, Sarah. um, and you know, I'm looking at her mugshot and I'm like, whoa, like, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, her mugshot, you know, right away that she is an addict, like she's got all the sores on her face. And then, you know, and then you watch her doing things on the bar that, you know, I can't even begin to do. And I'm like, wow, like, it's pretty freaking awesome to, to kind of see that success and just see the power of the community and what you've created. It's pretty awesome. I would, I would tell you, I mean, that was a moment that I didn't know, because like I said, we'd been filming it. I, I didn't know, we didn't know what the ending was, right? We had no idea. Right. But we knew that that when Bill passed, that, that was the that was the pressure test, right? Of like, is this a thing or is it not? And, you know, what was really, not only from the you know filmmaker side of it, but just as a human being, watching Andrew step up, watching Sarah step up, watching people that had gone through the program that are now recognized that they had, their leaders in it too. Right, that they have to take a leadership role and help others as they go through the process. I mean, that showed me that this was something that can go on to other places, can sustain itself, can be, you know, taken out to other cities out there. Um, and you know, ultimately we kind of looked at each other and it just so happened that people started calling and say, Well, how do we do that too? Yeah. And and I think that's the the message we tried to, to end the film on. Another spoiler alert is that, you know, spread the work right, is, is that these these things work. And then there's the whole science behind it, which I won't get into a lot of that, but that, you know, really that they're, you know, when you're trying to, to work through an addicted brain, there's so many chemicals that come from working out that like you really are, are bouncing out that that need to use. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons that this kind of adds up and, and works. None of us knew that at the beginning. Yeah. We had to learn that along the way. Well, I always, I've said it many times before, my dad, so my dad's a retired Colonel in the Marine Corps, Dale. And, you know, when I was young, all the way up till today, if I tell my dad that I'm like, you know, I'm feeling anxious or I'm not in a good headspace, he'll be like, then just go for a run. Like, yeah. that's his, that is his, like, prescription for everything. We'll go for a run. And, you know, today, uh, and and I used to get really, really pissed when he would say that. And I'd be like, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't, you know, like, he's just whatever. And now I ha- take so much value in what he says, because like when I work out, I don't work out necessarily to like PR on something like I'm not one of those people, but like I work out to be like, I need to, I need to level set my brain. Like I need to be in a different headspace, and I know that this is going to fix it. I know it's going to regulate my dopamine levels, like all of those things. Like I know the mental benefit that physical exercise has on me. And so, you know, and I think you you guys break that down a little bit uh, in, in the documentary as well, but it's so true that chemical makeup that I think for such a long time, we tried to fix the chemical dependency by prescribing more chemicals that were now prescribed drugs, right? Like, oh, you're coming off heroin, here's methadone, you know, all of those. And 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 again, I'm very quick to say that 
I do believe there is a place for um, meds in in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form for mental illness and all of that. Like, But I am a firm believer that you can't have one without the other. You can't just give people a bunch of, you know, Lexapro and say, go take this every day and not make any other changes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that as a society is where we've gotten is just like, let's fix the problem by masking it even more, you know? Um, so you guys have kind of uncovered the, the solution to that. But what I'd love to, what I'd love to know is like, where is Portsmouth now? Like, you know, we see this microcosm of what you guys are doing, but and it, and it's clearly affecting and and being beneficial to part of the community. But do you see an embrace from the entire community? Like, can you actually look at the 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 data to see that that addiction and overdoses is changing in your town? Uh, unfortunately, you can't. And, and the reason is it's it's gotten worse nationwide. Yeah. Um, you know. We started in 2018 um, and then COVID hit. And so what's COVID do? Shuts everything down. It isolates people and makes things worse because now you you took away that support structure. Um, You took away their connection and, you know, it made things worse. Not just just for uh, people uh, in addiction, but like. Remember, remember that year 2020 like everybody was going crazy yeah um because they were they were shut in um so that really kind of put a hamper on a lot of stuff but it is getting better for the people who subscribe to the program um and like we want to be clear like this is not uh the solution it's a solution right um, and and it's just like crossfit crossfit's for um anyone but it's not for everyone Right. But if you if you really buy into it, it it has the power to change your life. And um, we this program just is very simple. It's not hard to understand. It's very difficult to execute, but we really want to get people uh, fit and healthy. We really want to try to find them a good job around good people and then eventually find them a good place to live. And that's a little different than current models because it's a 18 to 24 month period. It's not a 90 day thing. It's uh, a much longer term integral approach to, to how we're doing. So um, as far as the town is concerned, uh, I was, I was having this conversation with somebody like we were the first business to open up downtown in 2013 um, in our like little historic district. Um, and now in almost every building, there's a new business on second street and market street. That's awesome. Um, so you have people returning downtown, yeah. you have economic development, um, because people are starting to come out of that fog by getting people treated and then turning them from tax paying, uh, liabilities into tax paying assets, like personal recovery and economic recovery go together. 100%. Yeah. So what that reminds me um, of, you know, Dale's an Intel guy. I was a grunt. So like back in Iraq, they would send you on these things called atmospherics. Like, go find the atmospherics, which it took me forever to figure it out. It was basically go walk around and talk to people. And if they're not shooting at you, that's, yeah. that's a good day. What's right. What's the vibe on the street? Yeah. The vibe on the street now is that people are out in places that well, the first time I came here, I literally thought that this place looked worse than Iraq. It did to me. Now there's like Dale said, buildings are coming back. People are coming out. There's now people that would otherwise not talk to each other that are now friends and, and part of a community. And so it's hard to put a number on that other than what you visually see on a Tuesday down here at Market Street. And it's, it's just that there's life back in, and you can feel it. And so we tried to capture some of that in the film so that you could see, you know, the before and the afters. Um, but I think once you pe- get people start talking about the problem and instead of just pushing it away and that being like, we're not going to even going to talk about addiction right. and recovery. Now it's, you know, people are talking about it. They recognize it. And it really isn't, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of, a lot of people, it's not a big deal. It's like, all right, cool, let's move through it. And so reading that stigma was a big part of, mm-hmm. of the lesson that, that I learned. You know, throughout. Well, I saw that too, because, you know, I, I was thinking about, um, uh, again, there's, there's another gentleman um, that, that 
in in that I think you employ that can barely read. Um, Rooster. Yes, Rooster. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking about Rooster and Sarah and, you know, in my daily life, I'm not going to come across Roosters and Sarahs, right? <laughs> but like, I'm just not. But if they showed up at my gym, you know, I'm I'm all of a sudden like almost forced to understand them, to know them, to build a relationship with them. And so I think there's like this, it's, it's helping the recovering addicts, right? And getting them in a better place, but it's also opening up the broader community to their people too, right? And so I thought that was really an important concept that you probably weren't thinking about, but it just happened no. naturally, you know? No, yeah. Yeah, and that's the great thing. Um, if you can, you know, I don't know how many jobs have happened inside of my gym. And honestly, it makes sense because if you see Joe Smith, you know, introduce yourself to him, three months, you guys go to the same class, you're like, that's a hard worker. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That is the greatest, like, job application process there is. You get to know the person, and then you're like, hey, Joe, like, where are you working at? And then if you have an opening or availability, I'm going to take that guy over a paper resume any day. Um, and, and that's consistently what we see, what we see coming out of the gym. Yeah. Well, it's awesome stuff. I loved watching it. It's, uh, it's coming out October 3rd. Um, you can catch it in a, a lot of different places. Apple, right? Apple TV. TV and Amazon. Apple yeah, TV and Amazon. Um, and you can pre-order right now on iTunes, right? Did I see that somewhere? Okay. Look, I got my, I got my facts. But okay, after, you know, there's the documentary, it's getting the word out, it's making people aware um, of, you know, this solution, not the solution, but a solution that you have found. But what comes next for you? Are 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 you looking to to scale this into other communities? Is it is it about awareness for you and getting out to broader communities to try and replicate the same model? Uh Unfortunately, Billy started it, so we're going to have to to finish his his vision. And um, I think that looks more of a train the trainer model. Yeah. Um, so we would love to be able to um, package this up, uh, have have discussions, consulting with um, CrossFit gyms, behavioral health centers, local governmental organizations, and um, help them. You know. There should be one of these in every city and every state eventually. I love that. You know, obviously it's the Resilient Life podcast. I always end by asking, um, what does living a resilient life look like for you? But before I do that, you know, one of the things that I found so inspiring in the documentary was the city of Portsmouth and like how resilient it was as a community. You know, we don't, we don't often talk about like resilience in this like amorphous way, but really I thought you guys highlighted that so beautifully, uh, the resilience of a community and the power of, of its people coming together to, you know, listen, you guys show the footage and, and chase, you know, the footage at the beginning of the film. I'm like, I remember when you told me you were moving to Ohio from LA and I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I, I was like, oh, where are you going? Like Columbus? You're like, no, outside of there, you know, and and this small town, you know, and you see that footage at the beginning and I'm like, oof, like, like, whoa, it's rough, you know, and 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 to see what you guys are are, are doing, have done and are continuing to do, it's pretty awesome. So um, I just wanted to say that, but. Let's turn it over to you guys individually. I'll start with you, Dale. What is living a resilient life look like for you? Well, um, I think it's a line from the if poem where he says, if you can meet triumph and disaster and treat those imposters the same. Um, to me, I think that's what best embodies a resilient is uh, don't get too high on the highs, don't get too lows on the lows, and uh, and just be even keel and and uh, treat those imposters the same. 
you know, Jocko also gave that same, he didn't say that quote, but he said, I never let the highs get too high or the lows get too low. And I was like, come on, sometimes you got to let the highs get high. <laughs> you could oh, enjoy them. <laughs> you didn't want to say that in the documentary? <laughs> Sorry, we got to go back and edit it. We'll throw this in. We'll send you the footage. You can put that in. I can't believe I remembered a line from a poem. I, know. By the way. I like it. Chase, what about you? Yeah, Good mean, luck. Yeah, we, this was a four year project that, you know, like I said, there wasn't really a plan, but I think we always, we always instinctively knew that we needed to get this story out to the world, however we were going to do it. Yeah. Right. It more from a TV show to a documentary to maybe just put it on the internet. Who knew? Right. I think, you know, the aspect of resilient life that came to me is, is I didn't know exactly how we were going to get it done, but I knew that it, I, I had that purpose at the end of it. So when things came up that got in the way and I can get, you know, that's just a much longer conversation, but it's like, you know, when we were dealing with, I don't know if we're going to make enough time. I don't know if we're going to have enough money. I don't know if we're going to have this. I don't really know. I don't know the answers to a lot of these questions, but what I do know is that I can keep pushing. And, and keep focused on the end of that. And that's what allowed me to be resilient throughout the process. Um, and there were highs and there were lows. And, you know, I have multiple times that kind of helped me through that. And so that's, I think, what it, it you know, got us to this point. And, you know, we'll take it from here. Yeah, he's, I talk him off the ledge and then he talks me off the ledge. Sure. <laughs> I love it's it. Nice. <laughs> well, I, I will finish by saying there's one thing you're missing from your CrossFit gym. And that is, um, executing the Mannion wad in the month of April. I notice you guys are not a participating affiliate. So um, we'll talk offline about how you, yes. uh, how you we guys will can, uh, that. We will square that away. Yes. Yes. That's my one ask, but uh, thanks so much for joining. So the, the um, documentary comes out October 3rd, Apple, Amazon pre-order now on iTunes. I watched it guys. It's awesome. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Chase and Dale. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.